Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. We've all got to stay in this together and collaborate and grow this movement because we are going to get action. You have the president, you know, saying that we were kicked out of the, the state house and yet we're here at the White House discussing this on the national platform because what happens in Tennessee is going to have national implication. That Tennessee is going to set up a model for the nation about transforming this conversation around guns and, and moving forward to a state and to a, a society where, where we value the lives of children over the campaign contributions. And most importantly, we left here with the mandate of a message that we must protect kids and not guns. That is the message that we're going forward with from this meeting. And turn, turn this primary from a campaign that's about negative attacks into one about what we're for. Because we cannot get reelect, we cannot win this reelection. Excuse me, we can only reelect Donald Trump. <laughs> Also have members of the House of Representatives here, Congressman Omar. Where are you, Congressman Omar? There you go. God love you. I'm not supposed to get in trouble for saying this, but you look beautiful tonight. You know, the quorum teaches that one of his highest signs is the creation of heavens and earth. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It's the second of May, and we're in the new digs. Upstairs. Acoustics are a little off. We'll get it worked down. So I'll just eat the mic a little more than I usually do. Wearing a winner's shirt today because my boy Martin Truex Jr. won, and we'll be covering that for a lighter fare. That is your commander in chief. It's scary. It's super scary. And that's all I'm going to say about it. Scary. But today, we got mail. Welcome. And my breath catches in my chest until I hear three little words. Mail, motherfucker! That's right. Todd in Oregon brings us our first story for today. Oregon Democrats propose Right to Rest Act, decriminalizing public camping as homeless crisis surges. Oregon's Right to Rise Direct... Right to Rest Act would allow homeless individuals to sue for 1K if they're harassed... And we have a short soundbite. Going to play a second soundbite with it. Is somebody, some Karen in Portland. I had it queued up. So Todd in Oregon, thank you so much, brother. You're lead off the show. Scary moment out of Portland showing a homeless man attacking a drug counselor's car as he drives by. All caught on video. Watch. Jesus. 
That man goes on to smash the car windshield with a rock, then break a restaurant window and throw rocks at other cars before running onto a bus. Police tell the drug counselor they can't do anything about it. Kevin Dahlgren's that counselor who shot that video joins us once again now. Kevin, thanks for coming back. What's going through your mind as this guy's attacking you? Well, it was terrifying. I thought he was going to make it inside my car. I mean, he ran at me full speed, nearly smashed my passenger or my uh, driver's side window. And that's why I just kept driving. And I was actually driving by to really investigate because someone had said there was a man, you know, acting crazy in the area. So I went and checked it out and he saw me and, uh, you know, ran towards me and attacked me. When you called for help, you were told nobody can do anything. Why? Uh, correct. I mean, first, you know, they asked for a description and they asked, you know, like, so what's going on? I'm like, well, you know, this is, is this enough? Because they kept asking, is he a danger to himself or others? And I was like, well, yeah, I would say he's a danger to others. I witnessed him breaking a window. I witnessed him harassing other people. I witnessed him throwing rocks at cars and they just wouldn't come. And so I finally just gave up and called the police because what you're supposed to do is call these mental health outreach teams first. Well, that they weren't they weren't responding, so I called the police. Unfortunately, also the police said we're not going to pursue. And of course, I'm thinking in my mind, what does it take to get someone like this help? Like, who is supposed to help this person if not the people we pay to help? So it was really frustrating. And of course, as you can see, my uh, windshield got smashed. Yeah. Can you continue to do outreach in a community that you refer to aptly as an open air psych ward? It's very challenging. I mean, look, it's dangerous now for everybody. It's, you know, dangerous for people like this, but also there's the mentally ill that are vulnerable and are being victimized every day. So we have the extreme cases where they're aggressive and then the other cases where they're being victimized because they can't take care of themselves. Yeah. Uh, you know, Oregon is last place when it comes to a prevalence of mental illness in 43rd place in the United States with their needs being unmet. So we're doing a really, really terrible job uh, with mental health type services uh, uh, in this. Yeah, she has called me names and insulted me just for sitting down in the seat saying that I came here to celebrate today. Is there going to be a problem? There will be. I would like for him to change seats with someone. No, we're, I'm going to get somebody. Well, you don't have that right. So I will get somebody to come
What the fuck happened? If you notice, I'm looking a different way today. We used to have everything over here, but the new setup is flipped to the right. So if I kind of move this way a lot, it's just a habit. We've been going this way for a long time, and I think this is actually crooked. How's that? Is that better? Oh, hell yeah. All right. So thank you, Todd. It doesn't surprise me. We are, we're living in a world that's totally assed up. And this right here is probably, and remember, if you've been with the show, we, we go back to 2016 covering, um, I'm going to take this other earbud out because I really am probably yelling right now. Uh, when we really went down the rabbit hole of what is happening with illegals, only Texas and Arizona track it. And here are some interesting stats. Chip Roy 261,000 illegal immigrants have committed some 430,000 crimes, including 800 homo- homicides, 800 kidnappings, and 5,000 assaults in the last decade in Texas, and our border has never been more exposed. Breaking, ICE confirms that Francisco Oropasa, the Mexican national accused of fatally shooting five of his neighbors in Texas, has been deported from the U.S. multiple times, March 2009, September 2009, January 2012, July 2016, also has a DUI conviction in Montgomery County, Texas in 2012. But they come back, they come back, they come back, nobody stops them. And then you get the biggest lie I've ever seen from the podium of a press secretary. Even more of a lie than Trump's. There's the biggest crowd ever, the most people ever come to an inauguration, which is bullshit. But nobody died, liberals. And once again, we had a guy who tweeted, nobody died. That was unconscionable. Now we have people committing crimes all over the place because you let five fucking million fuckers into the country. You can't even track them. 75,000 more are going to be coming in. He just now decided to activate 1,500 active duty soldiers to the border because it's re-election year. We got to look like we really care because all of a sudden they're looking at the polls and going, holy fuck, he's at 39%. Maybe this border is a crisis. So his press secretary goes up and says this bullshit, followed by a data download from MTP that sugarcoats it 
But for the first time, he cover it. He has tools that he's used to, to make sure that we do this. We actually deal with the immigration system in a humane way, uh, and in a, in a way that is uh, uh, that actually deals with what we're seeing at the border. And that's why you've seen the parolee program be so successful. Uh, it has, it has, um, it has uh, uh, when it comes to illegal migration, you've seen it come down uh, by more than 90%. And that's because of this act, the actions that this president has taken. In a good Sunday morning, you know, it was 10 years ago this very month that the Senate's so-called Gang of Eight rolled out an immigration reform plan that they believed could finally pass Congress. We all wish we didn't have this problem, but we do, and we have to fix it, because leaving things the way they are, that's the real amnesty. I think 2013 is the year of immigration reform. But it was not, and the laws haven't changed. Two years later, Donald Trump would launch his presidential campaign, building his entire political identity on the issue of being tough on immigration and tough on the border. Trump even promised to wall off the nation's 2,000-mile southern border. And though the wall didn't materialize, his administration, in an attempt at deterrence at the border, instituted policies that included separating migrant children from their parents and instituting the Remain in Mexico program, which sent migrants back to Mexico while seeking U.S. asylum. Biden endorsed a sweeping immigration plan on his very first day in office. But the plan went nowhere, even though Democrats controlled both houses of Congress at the time. Instead, the administration has adopted several of the Trump policies he once criticized, including a transit ban, which will force some migrants to apply for asylum from their home countries. Now, as Biden formally runs for a second term, the immigration issue, which he never mentioned this week in his announcement video, continues to be one of his toughest challenges. In 2021, more migrants crossed the southern border than in any year since at least 1960, and in 2022, the record was broken again. In two weeks, an emergency public health rule known as Title 42 that has allowed both the Trump and Biden administrations to expel migrants and block most access to asylum at the border since March of 2020, allegedly to prevent the spread of COVID, will officially expire. And the U.S. relationship with Mexico has perhaps, the government that is, has perhaps never been worse. With cooperation on the drug war at its lowest point in decades, thanks to an administration in Mexico that doesn't seem interested in dealing with the cartels. Fentanyl, which is produced in Mexico with chemicals sourced from China, is now the leading cause of death for Americans between the ages of 18 and 49, according to our friends at the Washington Post. This week ahead of Title 42 expiration, the Biden administration announced new steps to stem unauthorized migration, including opening new processing centers in Colombia and Guatemala, creating a new family reunification program, and increasing assistance to counter smuggling. Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas acknowledged there would be a border surge, but he also said it does not mean more migrants should come. The smugglers' propaganda is false. Let me be clear. Our border is not open and will not be open after May 11th. There has never been an administration that's been able to lie as much as the Biden administration. I mean, it's just, it's fucking criminal. It's outright criminal. Um, I don't understand, you know, well, I do because we have the White House Correspondent Dinner. I mean, these people love him. It's grandpa. But they are so invested. And if you saw there, we started with, you know, literally couldn't talk to the family of the people 
whose children were killed by the trans terrorist with an AR that we don't even recognize as a trans terrorist. And they are, they're running on this. I mean, they are running on the trans thing that is just insane. So totally out of order today. We're just going to go straight into it. Um, there's so much trans stuff that's coming down the pipeline. It, it's unbelievable. Uh, this is, I, I found this on Twitter. For a while, I felt as if I wasn't solely a girl, that there was something missing. It felt confusing as my body developed and didn't quite match up with who I was. Seemingly, I feel like my body is doing one way, going one way and my mind is going another. As I got older, I started to learn more about myself. I decided on this term, gender fluid, which means my gender identity could change over time. Sometimes I will wake up and I'll feel more feminine. And some days I'll be more masculine. That was San Francisco. Paper. Because that's normal. They're running on the book ban. And I just want to refresh us. That was in it and Seth Dillon smashed um, Chelsea Clinton on this because they really think this is winnable but more and more things are coming out like this is North Carolina we're not talking Cali we're talking North Carolina two years old three years old four year old because it's, it's big money it's huge money for these people. They got to make that money. Got to make the money. Remember, that's how they treated it. They think they can get away with it. Now we're starting to do major articles consistently with this. We're attacking the books. But those are the books. And multiple media outlets, outlets, U.S. has a rich drag history. It's so rich. It's so drag. It's so, yeah. So let's start our trans hit with uh, Dylan. We found a good compilation somebody came up with. And, well, I'm just going to play it. This is now what he's saying should happen to people that criticize Bud Light. which is huge and wonderful and trace and elegant, especially at Christmas time. Hey, Blue, look at all these families. Hi, families. It's time for a pride parade. Families marching one by one. Hurrah, hurrah. Every death is a tragedy, y'all. It's seven lives.
like the articles written about me using he pronouns and calling me a man over and over again. And I, I feel like that should be illegal. I, I don't know. That's, that's just bad journalism. People are seeing it's getting out of control. This is not a righty mag. The social contagion is driving astronomical rise in teen gender dysphoria. They're, they're, they're simultaneously all in, but they're also saying, wow, this is weird. From this article, and this site was Mercatornet. Mercatornet, I don't even know how to fucking say it. Social contagion is at least partially responsible for the upsurge of gender dysphoria in the past three decades, but this is vehemently denied by most social institutions charged with the safeguarding of children and young people, including governments, university and school human rights commissions, legal institutions and sporting bodies. The misguidance adherence to a scientifically bankrupt gender ideology ideology has had as yet unfathomed negative impact on young people, their families, and the wider society. The reason that this phenomenon is never debated is that it would be to detonate the top of the edifice of gender ideology. The prevailing view regarding this unprecedented upsurge is that the social and cultural milieu into which this current generation of children and adolescents have been born has permitted disinhibitions of expression of their transgender identity in same way that left-handedness and homosexuality were permitted freer expression in previous decades. This explanation is unsatisfactory. An alternate explanation for this 21st century phenomenon of gender dysphoria and transgenderism must be canvassed. Social contagion is the prime candidate. And they go down and break it out because it's totally true. It is what we've said on the show since we started covering it. It is 100% because kids literally want to be popular. They're living in two different worlds, real and digital. And that's a lot of pressure. Human rights campaign. Once again, the rich heritage of drag. And this is the disingenuous argument that we're facing because they keep on wanting to say everybody wants to get rid of drag. No, we want kids not to be forced into drag we don't want kids forced into your religion because that's what it is and it's fucking everywhere article pupil pupils as young as seven are being encouraged to wear badges with their pronouns on it daily mail they cover it chelsea clinton outright was all in on this stuff. It's the book. They're going the books. The books. That's not the argument. The books are pornographic. It's aimed at children. And just this weekend, we have a TV show. We have MTP at the end and up front saying even Biden's not good enough for this trans religion. So at the top, I said that um, these are states that are now banning uh, gender affirming care for trans minors because many of these laws do not address gender affirming care for cisgendered teenagers. If uh, a parent wants to allow their 16 year old to get breast implants, uh, a cisgendered girl, or they want their their uh, boy to get growth hormones, uh, cisgendered boy, those things are not dealt with in legislation. Am I right here that they've, this is focusing exclusively on, or primarily, I should say, on trans teens? 
That's exactly right. I mean, the, the language of the bills, for the most part, all of them include exceptions. So they're saying you can't get this care if you're trans, but you could get it if you, for example, have a diagnosis around precocious puberty or early onset of puberty, or if you have an intersex condition or a diagnosis of um, physical or anatomical uh, traits that might not typically conform to our ideas of male or female. So there are these exceptions in the rules that really point to the fact that this is very ideological. They're really trying wrote a permission slip so Taylor could go see Dr. Bartel. I thought it was for a checkup. You're lying. You and your husband had already met with Dr. Bartel and you knew the kind of treatment he wanted to provide. After the scene Robert made, Bartel refused to give Taylor the medication. He, he didn't want to break the law. He knew we didn't approve. And Taylor got really upset, so I... So you gave Bartel consent to treat Taylor? <sighs> you need to testify. Tell the jury that Bartel had your... No, no, I, I can't. If your husband walks free, he'll continue to fight Taylor's transition. He'll file lawsuits, injunctions. Think what that will do to Taylor. You have a choice to make. Who do you want to protect? Your husband? Or your daughter? Mom? Is everything okay? Yes, sweetheart. Everything is fine. But below the age of 18, I think it's perfectly legitimate to say that we won't allow genital mutilation or chemical castration through puberty blockers You're for the purpose of that, gender transition. But how do you know it's that? Again, how do you know, are, are you confident that you know that gender uh, is... Uh, as binary as you're describing it? Are you confident that it isn't a spectrum? I uh, am. Do you know I'm, this as a scientist? Well, there's there's two X chromosomes if you're a woman, an X and a Y. That means there's you're a, a man. There's a lot of scientific research out this. there. There's a lot of scientific research out there that says gender is a spectrum. Chuck, I, I respectfully disagree. Gender dysphoria for most of our history, all the way through the DSM-5, has been characterized as a mental health disorder. And I don't think it's compassionate to affirm that. I think that's cruelty. When a kid is crying out for help, mm -hmm. what they're asking for is, you got to ask the question of what else is going wrong at home? What else is going wrong at school? Let's be compassionate and get to the heart of that, rather than playing this game as though we're actually changing right. our medical understanding but for the last I, I go back years. to this. If a parent is dealing with a child that has these, that, yes. that may have these issues, trust me, the parent, the last thing they want to do is consider something like this. But if that is what they think could help their child pursue happiness or their, not to kill themselves, I, why take away that option? Again, it, why shouldn't it be up to the parent? So part of why parents now suddenly feel that way, let's ask ourselves that, Chuck, is we've created a culture that teaches parents that they're being bigoted or that they're bad people if they don't actually take those steps. So part of what I think is, listen, gender dysphoria for the rare few people who have suffered it mm -hmm. is a condition of suffering. My question is, why on earth are we going out of our way mm -hmm. to create even more of it? And there's no doubt that the cultural movement in this country, even education, is creating more gender dysphoria if it's a condition of suffering. In a million years, I never thought I'd see MTP say that phrase. Are you sure? Are you a scientist? Well, even scientists right now can't answer the question. They can't say X, Y, and XX. They can't say that. They can't talk about how we've defined male and females for two millennia. Kiss. 
front man. There is a big difference between teaching acceptance and normalizing and encouraging participation in a lifestyle that confuses young children to questioning their sexual identities as though some sort of the game and then parents in some cases allow it. These are individuals who as adults may decide that reassignment is their needed choice, but t- ret- turning into th- this into a game or parents normalizing it as some sort of natural alternative or believing that because a little boy likes to play dress up in his sister's clothes or girl and her brothers, we should lead them down steps further down a path way that's far from the innocence of what they are doing rockers fucking rockers sounding off that was paul stanley and d snyder you know what there was a time where i felt pretty too glad my parents didn't jump to any rash confusion remember that dude wore a fucking wig they are pushing so hard to normalize this. Here's Randy Weingarten lying of being abused because she was a lesbian. And the dude in Montana who broke the rules got censored. Well, of course, he was on Jim Psaki's show. It's a long interview. I'm just going to play a little bit of it. It's just this dehumanization that you see autocrats do and you see um, people who don't want to solve problems do. And what's unfortunate is that it's so venal um, and so mean that I can take it. I'm a public figure. I mean, I, you know, I, 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 I called Sharon's kids or one of Sharon's kids earlier in the day and I expected something like this to happen. And I warned her that it might happen. She was fantastic. She said to me, you know, it's, you know, we're, we love you and we're with you. And, but it's just a matter of the undermining of people, the undermining of trans kids, the undermining of the other. And so I felt like I was taking one for the team, but the vile homophobic nature of it was, was pathetic. And, and the undermining of families was pathetic. Representative Zephyr, thank you so much for taking the time. I know you were extremely busy. I've been seeing you working on your laptop in the hallway, so um, I know you're busy. I just want to start because I, I know a lot of people have heard vaguely about what's happening in Montana, but tell us a little bit about uh, what this bill that has been moving its way through the Montana legislature would do in terms of uh, restricting or banning uh, gender affirming care. So the bill I spoke up on, Senate Bill 99, bans gender-affirming care broadly for trans youth in Montana. And what that looks like is beginning with things like social transition, where this, this bill disallows the use of state facilities to advocate for that. And social transition is allowing a child to grow their hair long, cut it short, use a different name or pronoun. This bill also then bans the best practices recommended by every major medical association, which would be puberty blockers. As a child gets older and close to puberty, if, if they're uh, older and teens, you're looking at hormone replacement therapy. And these are things that, again, decisions made by a patient, their parents, their therapists, and a series of medical people very slowly, very carefully, and again, in line with best practices with every major medical association. Now, I always wonder when I hear uh reports of legislators pushing uh, legislation like this, taking the time to do it. What is the origin of it? What do you think motivated those who are pushing forward this bill to do that? 
Well, we know that, you know, much like gay panic in the in the 90s, there's this sense that, well, they can other a group, they can make trans people into a boogeyman. But trans people know that, you know, we live we live lives full of joy. Um, we are welcomed in our communities broadly. And when they come after us, they're not only attacking trans people, they're attacking the people who love us. They're attacking the communities we're a part of. And it's important to note that these bills targeting trans healthcare, that's not the origin. When they started coming after us, they began with attacking trans people's access to sports, but that was never their goal. The goal was to eliminate trans people from public life entirely. And so we're, that's why we see the escalation, banning art forms, banning books, banning our histories and our healthcare. What is the status right now of the legislation? What should people understand about the path forward? So Senate Bill 99 right now is sitting on the governor's desk. Um, the governor made amendments to it, and that's the amendments that I spoke up uh, against in the House floor. It's sitting on his desk, and it's also interesting that it's not only our communities in this building pushing back. The governor's own son is non-binary and reached out to him and said, you know, dad slash governor, this bill hurts people. It hurts people I care about. It hurts me. You know, when we started playing this game oh so long ago, I mocked things. All right. I mock things. This was Pink News. We used to cover Pink News. Lesbian dating app, her, tells all transphobic users to delete their accounts. The pylon came after an app released a blog post. Even with glasses, I got to zoom this shit up. Uh, In celebration of Lesbian Visibility Day, describing how it is reclaiming lesbian from the clutches of turfs and bigots who tried to hijack it and fuel their transphobia and hatred. After returning to social media, the app sent a push notification to all its users telling transphobes to delete the app, adding, don't let the door hit you on the way out. Her has always been a platform that is for trans women, for non-binary people, and anyone who identifies as a woman. CEO Robin Exton said. So it's kind of absurd that we're not getting this little like vitriol coming back saying that we're a lesbian app that is now promoting inclusion of trans women. It has always been since day one. The CEO said the team at her are so sick at the level of aggression and violence so-called gender critical activists aim at the app and its users when all trans women want to do on our app is meet someone and fall in love. Amy Curtis, a lefty. You can't help who you are sexually attracted to, shut up and like girls' penises or you're a big na- bigot. Lesbians are not sexually attracted to penises. They're lesbians for a reason. Yet there's a subset of trans women, read men, who believe they're entitled to having sexual access to lesbians. This is so incredibly dangerous for not just lesbians, but all women. This takes the notion of consent and bodily autonomy and completely turns it on its head. We've heard so much about rape culture and affirmative counsel consent, excuse me, and yet now we have not an insignificant portion of the left telling women their consent autonomy doesn't matter. They are browbeating lesbians into accepting biological men as partners, calling them transphobes and booting them from a dating app for not agreeing to date and sleep with biological men. How can the left continue to talk about Me Too consent and women's issue when a vast majority of them see stories like this and just shrug or actively agree that lesbians are transphobes? This is coercion at best and borderline rape at the worst. Okay, I'm not reading anymore because she said that stupid shit. But it's 
garbage. And who is it affecting most? Kids. This is a middle school doing a drag thing, young kids being interviewed, a girl coming out. I'm going to put the freak up front because I want to talk about the girl coming out because we played this oh so long again. And I found it from India Willoughby is the user's name. This is child abuse. This is grooming. This is the gender critical movements. 12-year-old girl clearly indoctrinated by the likes of Posey Parker. Very Hitler youth heartbreaking. She's a lefty. I'm afraid I'll go to heaven. That's why I'm hoping that I'm like 10 I knew that I I think at 10 but I wasn't like I wasn't clear on my gender yeah I I think it, it was around like 10 as well when I, st I started questioning if I was bi and then since then it was kind of like a, a slippery slope because I kept I was like my bi omni lesbian and then I I kind of like came to the point and then now recently I've been like am I pan but then I like I think now I'm starting to realize that I'm queer, but yeah, it was, it started around 10. It wasn't like fully formed, but I guess like, that's when I realized, wait, that's a possibility? Yeah. I am genderqueer, trans mask, and queer. What's trans mask? Trans mask is like people under the non-binary umbrella at identifying like, or presenting mask. Masculine? Yeah. What about you? Um, I'm trans and, uh, Un my sexuality is unlabeled. Um, I use he, him pronouns. Yeah, and I use he, they pronouns. Tell us what you guys identify as. We're asking everyone here gay today. Gay fuck, <laughs> gay, gay, cis, um, what is it? Cisgender male, there we go. I don't know, gender, gender neutral or gender fluid. I think that's what they said. I don't know, I'm confused. So you identify as gender fluid? <laughs> I don't know. She, her, it i feel like honestly honestly it should not be a bad thing like i've talked to people who go with they and them and i'm like well in the grammar of things how would you want to represent yourself i was like i mean i guess it because it's like you're you're it you're the it like it shouldn't be a bad name it should just be owned gay 
Yes. Yes, I love. She identifies as she, she, her. Oh. She. Um, pronouns are he, him. Sometimes you say, I don't give a shit. I There's fucking child abuse. I don't care what people say. It's fucking child abuse. And if you think it's a one-off because we played it on our show so many times, I just did a Google search. Second page, third page. I found the following. A child, talking about school board, Colorado Dems saying it's not illegal to for gay people or transgender people to flash people. Another school, another school, and a British school. seventh tenth grade and Nichols Middle School. I appreciate the opportunity to speak to you today. I never thought that the shirt I wore to school on March 21st would lead me to speak with you today. On that Tuesday morning, I was taken out of gym class to sit down with two adults for what turned out to be a very uncomfortable talk. I was told that people were complaining about the words on my shirt, that my shirt was making some students feel unsafe. Yes, words on a shirt made people feel unsafe. They told me that I wasn't in trouble, but it sure felt like I was. I told, I was told, that I would need to remove my shirt before I could return to class. When I nicely told them that I didn't want to do that, they called my father. Thankfully, my dad supported my decisions and came to pick me up. What did my shirt say? Five simple words. There are only two genders. Nothing harmful, nothing threatening. Just a statement I believe to be a fact. I have been told that my shirt was targeting a protected class. Who is this protected class? Are their feelings more important than my rights? I don't complain when I see pride flags and diversity posters hung throughout the school. Do you know why? Because others have a right to their beliefs just as I do. Not one person, staff, or student told me that they were bothered by what I was wearing. Actually, just the opposite. Several kids told me that they supported my actions and that they wanted one too. I experienced, wait a moment. I was told that the shirt was a disruption to learning. No one got up and stormed out of class. No one burst into tears. I'm sure I would have noticed if they had. I experienced disruptions to my learning every day. Kids acting out in class are a disruption, yet nothing is done. Why do the rules apply to one, yet not another? I feel like these adults were telling me that it wasn't okay for me to have an opposing view. Their arguments were weak, in my opinion. I didn't go to school that day to hurt feelings or cause trouble. I have learned a lot from this experience. I learned that a lot of other students share my view. I learned that adults don't always do the right thing or make the right decisions. I know that I have a right to wear those five, a shirt with those five words. Even at 12 years old, I have my own political opinions and I have a right to express those opinions. Even at school, this right is called the First Amendment to the Constitution. My hope in being here tonight is to bring the school committee's attention to this issue. I hope that you will speak up for the rest of us so we can express ourselves without being pulled out of class. Next time, it may not only be me. There might be more students that decide to speak out. Thank you for your time and good night. Thank you. These types of laws have been used to ban drag shows, to target individuals who use the restroom of the sex that they identify with, a public restroom, 
to charge them with felony charges. I am very concerned about the attacks against the transgender community that are happening across the country. When I initially read this bill, it did not even come to mind, for me either, as an advocate. But as I've looked at the bills and as I've talked to my colleagues who are fighting these types of bills across the country, it's very clear to me that the language is very much mirrored in some of the laws that have been used to target members of our community because of who they are. The parents movement is very real and it is not going away. I know the left wishes for the parents movement to go away. I know that they wish for radical social activists to be able to indoctrinate children without anyone looking over their shoulder. They get to make all the social standards lest someone, God forbid, be offended. But guess what? Parents are not going to let up on the on the oversight here. They're, they're not going to give up on what their kids learn in school because we can all see it happening. All this stuff is now being exposed for everyone to see. Again, it starts in places overseas like the UK or across the border like in Canada, but it doesn't stay there. I mean, over in the UK right now, we now have students being told to stop calling teachers Mr. and Mrs. According to the National Education Union over in Britain, British teachers are now being told that students should not refer to them as Mr. and Mrs. in order to foster a gender-free education model. This is according to Breitbart reporting. Dr. Ellie Barnes told educators in a lecture entitled Getting the Language Right for 2022 that pupils should use gender-neutral terms such as teacher when in the classroom. The 90-minute webinar from Dr. Barnes, a copy of which was obtained by the UK Telegraph, went on to advocate for classrooms to abandon other gender-specific terms like boys, girls, son, and mother in favor of alternatives like students, pupils, child, and parent. During the lecture, Dr. Barnes introduced a code of conduct to be introduced at the start of term and said those who disagreed with the far-left agenda should be barred from the school. The Educate and Celebrate chief also said schools should be introducing gender-free uniforms, saying don't say a boy's fit or a girl's fit. The charity's website boasts thousands of nurseries, primary schools, secondary schools, colleges, and businesses have signed up for their Pride in Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion Award. Okay, and, and this sort of stuff is happening all over the world. This is, this is not restricted to what's happening in Britain, where they are recommending how to transform your school into an LGBT plus friendly place. Right? It's not just in Britain or in Canada. It's happening here in the United States. It's starting in some of these woke independent private schools, but it's not going to remain there because it never does. So Breitbart obtained exclusive footage from the National Association of Independent Schools. And National Association of Independent Schools had a flagship conference in 2020 with an hour-long training workshop. And it featured discussions about how to talk to kids about gender, sexuality, and identity. And they've released clips of this, of the NIIS. Okay, now this is what the teachers' unions across the country would like rammed into public schools as well. So this is not restricted to the sort of stuff that, uh, that you get at Crossroads School in Los Angeles. Just recognize this is what the left would like. And they would like to do this at point of gun if they could get away with it because they have no problem with using government force. Everything, according to the left, is either compulsory or banned. Those are the only two categories. Everything not compulsory is forbidden. Okay, so here are some of the clips from this piece of educational content produced by a, an NAIS conference contractor. This one talking about the everybody tool and how it should be introduced to small, small children. With the younger children starting in pre-K, we talk about their bodies, about the parts that they were born with, um, about penises and vaginas and whether that makes somebody a boy or a girl, but also their feelings, 
What do they feel like inside? Do they feel like a boy or a girl? What does their head say? Don't worry, it won't enter the schools. I mean, they're just training teachers to actually put this in the schools, but, but don't worry, this won't enter the schools. Here's a recommendation on, on what should be taught to pre-K kids. We're talking about pre-K would be like four-year-olds. I had been given a title to a book, so I went to our school library to pull it. And I pulled it thinking I had the right one. I didn't. Um, and I read through, I'm like, this is really progressive stuff. But it was my first year, so I'm like, okay, we're just super progressive. So I went in there guns blazing, and I just went for it. And I ended up talking about the vulva and the labia with pre-cares. And it was just one of those moments. Everybody's looking in horror, and I'm like, oh, no, I made a really big mistake. Well, I mean, but the fact that she even thought that that was remotely, remotely acceptable demonstrates she, I mean, you can listen to the woman who's preaching this. Right. I just thought it was really progressive. If they thought they could get away with it, they would get away with it. And she, it, was, it was only when people started. Look, OK, more of us need to look on in horror at what they are attempting to teach small children. It's crazy. Here's what they're recommending to teach second graders. OK, my daughter is in second grade. My daughter is currently eight years old. She just turned eight. Okay, this is what they would like to teach to seven, seven year olds, eight year olds in schools. By second grade, we move on explicitly to gender identity and talk about it again in terms of your head and your heart and your body parts matching up. And does that work for you? What happens if it doesn't? What are the other parts of you that have to do with your gender identity? And what are the parts of you that don't? And the kids draw wonderful self-portraits again, um, but dealing with all aspects of their identity. These are folks who are indoctrinating children in sexual fluidity at the age of seven or eight. This is what they want. Okay, don't, don't let them pretend this isn't what they want. This is what they want. They want to teach your kids the way they want to teach your kids, and you're supposed to have no say. And if you protest, then this makes you a bigot, according to them. We're not going to forget all this. I mean, honestly, I'd love to see any Democratic candidate asked about this sort of stuff. Do you disagree? Really, let's, let's get you on the record, because this seems like fairly obvious stuff. Get a Democratic candidate in a purple district to announce whether they agree or disagree that gender identity should be taught to six-year-olds. I mean, first of all, gender identity shouldn't be taught to anybody because it's a bunch of anti-scientific bullcrap. But certainly it should not be taught to six, seven, eight-year-olds. And yet this is precise. The left knows they have to get them at six, seven, or eight because otherwise their brains might develop such that they know that this is stupidity. Kids are extraordinarily docile at six or seven years old when it comes to imbibing stupidity and then and then believing it. The left knows this, which is why this is the eight. A California kindergarten teacher is facing outrage after discussing gender identity with her students. One child came to the teacher with books on the subject while going through a gender transition. Now the teacher is defending herself. Sharon Roger from CBS station KOVR in Sacramento has the story. And what I will share over and over again is how proud I was of my students. An emotional Rockland Academy teacher addressing a packed house of parents, many furious about her decision to discuss the topic of gender identity inside her kindergarten class. It was never my intent to harm any students, only to support them through a difficult situation. The teacher defended her actions to read two books she says were given to her by a transgender child going through a transition. The kindergartners came home very confused about whether or not you can pick your gender, whether or not they really were a boy or a girl. Parents say besides the books, the transgender student at some point during class also changed clothes and was revealed as her true gender. And many parents say they feel betrayed and blindsided. I want her to hear from me as a parent what her, her gender identity means to her and to our family. 
um, not from a book that may be controversial. My daughter went home crying, shaking, so afraid that she could turn into a boy. The issue was not on the agenda, so parents spoke out during Monday night's public comment. It's really about the parents being informed and involved and, you know, giving us the choice and the rights about, you know, what's getting introduced to our kids and at what age. Many teachers also speaking out in support of what transpired inside the classroom on the last days of the academic year. Head in the direction of banned books or book lists or selected literature that should only be read inside or outside of the classroom. I think that that's a very dangerous direction to go. Lucy, thank you very much for joining us. I've got to be honest with you, I'm not a parent and I'm livid about this. How do you feel? Well, we're pleased that this policy exchange report has finally come out because we've been campaigning about this for quite a long time now, for a number of years. We've had a lot of parents been contacting us who are really concerned about what's happening with schools. So to finally see it in the news is great, but it is, it is outrageous, and I agree with you. It is outrageous that this has been happening for so long in schools. Lucy, so as I understand it, parents watching this show right now could have sent their child off to school this morning in, under the complete belief that that child was a boy, OK, and was identified yeah. as a boy. And then they can find out on parents' evening, presumably, that that child of theirs that they gave birth to and lovingly raised for the first 10 years of its life had been changing its gender to that of a girl for the last year or so in school, potentially, without the school bothering to inform the parents? Well, often it's not even that the parents are finding out at, at, at parents' evening. In, in some cases, the parents are not finding out at all because the schools are just not telling them. We've had several examples of parents who've contacted us where their children have been trans effectively at school and they've only found out much later when they found out from their their child or the child suddenly announced that they're that they are going by a different name um some children have been going to school um and the the, the schools have been facilitating them allowing them to change into different uniforms and be identified by different pronouns at school without telling the parents at all which is which, which is terrible their quest to normalize it shows how much it's important for them to do this because the more people that convert to this religion more democrats they'll have and more people will vote for them that's david french used to be conservative making the whole issue with disney own the cons let's just own the cons and that middle school kid that just breaks my fucking heart i meant forgot to say that it just breaks my fucking heart that's what you do that that's where we're at right now and this because of this fucking administration and the way they have demonized parents parents are the bad people administrators are the good people here is our last soundbite on this subject of that Olympia board that we played last time again just censoring the parents
Public schools have always been intended to be for all of the people, regardless of their political views. As an example, when the word equity is used 25 times per board meeting, but the word excellence is frowned upon as somehow being systemically racist, we've got a problem. And when a person with a long criminal record in anti-police uses a quote pointed to the school district board without apparently even a background check, we've got a problem. I'm sorry, you are out of order. We know who you are talking about. You must discontinue those remarks that are personally directed towards another individual. Did I, did I name an individual? You do not need to name the individual. We I know who you are talking about. No, I'm sorry, you are out of order and you are done. Done. This is a cowardly school board. You know, you are done now. Done now. No, I am not. Mr. Wesley. My name is Ian Wesley. My son attends Lincoln Options. I live within the Hanson School boundaries. A few board meetings ago, you gabbled my wife down when she came here to raise good faith concerns about the principal of Hanson and the actions of Patrick Murphy. I am going to read the statement that she was going to give that meeting. Will you gavel me down tonight? Yes, I will gavel you down tonight. You must discontinue remarks that are personally directed toward another individual. It is not difficult to know exact, who you are that, talking about. Personnel matters are not heard at public meetings. That, exact that board has, we have already heard your complaint in closed session and additional commentary is not appropriate. You are out of order. Our meetings adjourned. The reality is either all us normals start pulling together to stop this insanity or they're going to win. If they win the 2024 election and, and they're, one of their major tenets literally is this tranny stuff. They think it's going to be great for them. It's going to build a huge pad with the young kids. Um, you yeah, know, I, I don't think that's, that's going to work. So we're now going to segue into the reelect campaign. And as you can see, this is the perfect slide for this. This is from the Daily Beast, which is falling a fuck apart. And, you know, interesting thing that happened, which I'm not covering, is that Trump was Satan and you shouldn't give him a platform. That's what we've heard since January 6th. Well, The polling's not looking too good for Biden. He's sucking buttermilk. So they're trying really hard to get Trump elected the nominee because every poll, even liberal ones. Yeah, they, uh, they see that DeSantis wins. DeSantis wins, and they can't have it. So, we have this little article, but even better than that, here is a soundbite where an MSNBC guy says, if you're criticizing Biden's age, it's tantamount to, what do you think? Oh yeah, that word again, racism. 
Biden, I think, encapsulates it best with his slogan when he says, don't compare me to the almighty, compare me to the alternative. That's what this election will be about. I don't think there's a slogan by a presidential candidate that has better encapsulated the reasons why you would pull the lever for him. Uh, Joe Biden, yes. Let's talk about it honestly, okay? He is old. Age is an issue. Ageism is an issue. Americans have a rich history of holding people's physical characteristics against them. Okay, you can ask African Americans, you can ask women. That is a fact. That is a problem. That is something that we are definitely going to have to fight on. Mm. That is something Democrats are definitely going to have to address head on. I think Joe Biden has definitely done that. He has a record to run on. He has a record of accomplishment. He has a record that can contrast with Donald Trump and where Donald Trump is going to take the country. And by the way, one issue that Kerry did not mention when she talked about these issues that help Republicans, choice. Yeah, no, and I think it's funny you mentioned the age thing in that way, that it, you can put it in the context of other discrimination, like ageism. Right. Um, and yet, yes, like Reagan, uh, Biden's going to be upfront about it. He's spoken about it. Um, it does make for what could be a very interesting period of time. Uh, we wanted to really get into all of this with the context of what has been a wild uh, and interesting, to say the least, Newsweek, uh, and hear from everybody. So, Che and Carrie, thanks to both of you. Yeah, that, that's a fucking stretch, but it's, it's all we have, really. I mean, here's the AP, which I think is just a beautiful, beautiful frickin' headline that we're making it up. No, we're terming it wrong. It's not an insurrection. It's the same exact thing. And the people, while they're doing it, they even try to do Jim Vandehei, used to be a journalist. Some White House officials say it's difficult to schedule public or private events with the president in the morning and the evening or on the weekends. The vast majority of Biden's public events happen between 10 and 4. And then he calls a lid. He thinks somehow this is going to win the election. Republican Party doesn't understand about Gen Z is we don't like you. You claim you want to appeal to Gen Z, but you call us stupid, you say we're dumb, you say we're indoctrinated. I promise it's a losing strategy. And Gen Z is watching the Republican Party extremely closely as they destroy our environment, take rights away from women, do nothing about kids being shot in schools, and if they think they can give the middle finger to our generation and get away with it, they're sorely mistaken. This is a message to all the Republicans funded by the NRA, and this was inspired by a fantastic paper written by Chloe. Let me tell you something. Gen Z has sat by and idly watched as our friends and our family members are killed in schools and a gun epidemic has overtaken this country. We have sat by and we have idly watched over and over and over again as you value NRA money and the right to a gun over our lives. But this is what you do not understand. We are no longer watching. We are now voting. We are now in the streets. And I would be scared. Your time has come and 20 2024 will be ugly. We are over this. Martin was a 14-year-old boy at Stoneman Douglas High School. He wanted to grow up and be in the Navy. He got shot and killed. You took away his right to be safe in school and grow up with life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And I promise you, you should be scared for 2024 because we are coming. We are coming. If that is the reason why you'd vote for a candidate, you um, clearly are fucking brain dead. But they had the nerd prom, so let's go into the best and worst of the freaking White House Correspondents' Dinner. Um, I, I got to admit, giving yourself a award for kissing Biden's ass shouldn't be a thing, but that's how the WAPO guy got it. They're just transcribers. 
Joe Biden, uh, the, the line that will stick with me is, in a lot of ways, this dinner sums up my first two years in office. I'll talk for 10 minutes, take zero questions, and cheerfully walk away. I, I'm just going to, for the journalist in the room, he wasn't laughing with you. He was laughing at you. I mean, the reality is, I think he's mocking the press. The guy does not take questions, and he's up there joking about it. And I just, and they're clapping, and they're laughing about it, and I, I don't know. I just, I think he owes, I'm a, I'm pro-reporter. And I think the president of the United States ought to have to talk to these reporters and not mock them. How did it compare to the speeches that Donald Trump gave at the White House Correspondents Center? Oh, gosh. What was the most question? What was the most? He didn't give them. He didn't show. Because he doesn't respect reporters. I mean, and that's the hypocrisy. It was the weekend much of Washington waits for all year long as reporters, politicians, celebrities, all kinds of familiar faces gathered on the red carpet at the White House Correspondents Dinner, one of Washington's biggest social events of the whole dang year. It's a fun event mostly, but there's a serious note as well focused on freedom of the press and defending democracy. One of the night's biggest draws was basketball star Brittany Griner, who was released in December from Russia after 10 months of detention. She and her wife, Sherelle, were guests of CBS News. Brittany, where are you, kid? Stand up. Come on. President Biden met privately with Griner before the dinner. She described the moment to Gail King. What did he say to you, Brittany, that stood out? It was so good to see me. And um, he kept saying how big of a fan he was of mine and how much he loved the way I play basketball. Uh, I thought it was pretty cool. But let's talk about Brittany and Sherelle Griner. You are let's. so right, Vlad. I couldn't stop smiling. I think my face hurt smiling so much. Number one, I thought it made us a cool people's table because everybody wanted to come over and say hello to the two of them. Brittany and Sherelle were so gracious. Everybody wanted to take a picture. Everybody wanted to know how she was doing. And at one point I asked them, are you guys tired of this? Is this too much? Brittany said, no, I'm just so glad to be around people. And how do you not feel good when everybody just wants to embrace you and show you love? I was very honored that, that they, they agreed to sit at the CBS table. There is a, listen, Brittany took this picture, guys. She said, you know, because somebody else was trying to do the selfie, and she said, let me do it because my arm is like a selfie stick. <laughs> <laughs> and look at that picture. I go, Brittany, I would what happened when she met the about president. you, but you're right. The Waldo Beckman Award for Overall Excellence in White House Coverage is named for a former association president, the late Chicago Tribune correspondent Aldo Beckman. This year, the award goes to Matt Visor of the Washington Post. The, ju the judges said Matt Visor stood out among his competitors for work that went beyond the humdrum of covering the managed events of the presidency and the White House. Visor captured the spirit of Joe Biden, particularly with stories about the president's brother and how his Catholic faith influenced his strategic vision of the office. The WHCA is pleased to give the Aldo Beckman Award to Matt Visor.
We love talking about this event. It can be a controversial event. Um, it can be a really fun and funny event, um, sort of where the press and, and the White House get to make fun of each other. But this year might be a little bit different. Tell us what we can expect, first of all, in terms of the optics of, of the event itself, the dinner. One big difference is that both the president and the vice president will be up there on stage. Mm. That hasn't happened since 2009. Wow. Though in, in 2016, President Biden was vice president. He was there, but he was sitting out in the audience, I think next to Helen Mirren. Um, but uh, so that's a big <laughs> difference is having both of the principals and uh, the second gentleman and the first lady up there on stage. And, and I really see that as an endorsement of the work, the important work of the press uh, brought. So he respects the press, you say. Actually, he doesn't. We're going to try our vid talk again. I'm going to move this microphone up. I'm off Bluetooth. Let me start on a serious note. Jill, Kamala, Doug, and I, members of our administration, are here to send a message to the country and, quite frankly, to the world. The free press is a pillar, maybe the pillar of free society, not the enemy. But the truth is, we really have a record to be proud of. Vaccinated the nation, transformed the economy, earned historic legislative victories and midterm results, but the job isn't finished. I mean, it is finished for Tucker Carlson. What are you wooing about like that? Like you think that's not reasonable? Give me a break. Just give me a break. Look, like I often say, don't compare me to the almighty, compare me to the alternative. Let me start in a series. Uh, that is just fucking garbage. That's garbage, man. That's where he is. He can't even speak. Um, his whole platform is, I'm better than the other guy. And I think the worst thing about the White House, White House correspondent Skinner for me is that it shows how broken we are. Ben Shapiro did a really good uh, segment on uh, freaking this subject. And he nailed it with it's a uniparty. What we see is that they all come together and left right media it's all just a game to them because they're all liberals every one of them is a fucking liberal and it it's just sad i mean do you remember a couple of months ago we were going over um your conspiracy theory about banning gas stoves remember that yeah new york is the first state to ban it california is already regulating you can't we find that uh, the government vaccine mandate efforts were secretly funded by Pfizer, who pushed it through, and of course it worked for them very well. And before our lighter fare, this is Nebraska. They did a vote for abortion. And to show you, they really don't care about America, they don't care about Americans, they care about their religion. This is what they did when they blocked a strict abortion law.
Yay, we get to kill babies. That, that's their actions. Babies and trans and the kids. That's, that's all the left's got. That's what they're going for. That's their whole fucking platform. And it's kind of disgusting, if you ask me. So let's get in a lighter fare before we go into This Is America. And, of course, it's my guy, Martin Truex Jr. White flag, one lap to go, sponsored by Credit One Bank. Truex with a six-tenth of a second lead. And he's running every lap like a qualifying lap right now. Hardest he's run all day long. So it's like you said, Clint, a couple laps ago, the fastest lap he's ran all day long. Younger brother Ryan gets his first Xfinity victory on Saturday. And Monday is for Martin and Dover. Martin Truex wins the Worth 400. Oh, Truex sweep. Two-turn call. Awesome job, guys. Thank you, man. Happy for that family. Nice one for Josh Berry today in relief of Alex Bowman. In all, 12 cars finished on the lead lap, including Chase Elliott and Bubba Wallace. Ty Gibbs, Corey LaJoy, Ricky Stenhouse, one lap down. During that burnout, something's got to give. <laughs> he didn't have any tire trouble. <laughs> I think he's going to be pretty pumped up. <laughs> Home track win, been a while. 54 race winless streak ends today here at Dover for Martin Truex. Burning them down, I'm talking. He just shifted to second or third right there. Did you hear that? That's what blew him up. Look at it. It's starting to go, go down. It's getting soft. Watch this. It's going to start blowing out. <laughs> that was a good one. There they go. Hey guys, what's happening? Psyched to be here in Victory Lane at Dover. Got Miles Monster right behind us, and uh, you know, just really thankful for uh, all our fans and everybody that supported us. It's been uh, been a bit of a losing streak here, so we're glad to break that. And uh, just an awesome weekend for my family. You know, two JGR 19 cars in Victory Lane. That's so cool. It means so much to to Ryan and I and our whole family. And uh, we're just really jacked up to get back to Victory Lane. So appreciate all your support, and um, gonna do some celebrating. Eh, it's a good day to be an MTJ fan, which takes us to our This is America. Um, first round is going to be SCOTUS. 
They have tried to attack every member of SCOTUS, which used to be against the Constitution, used to be against everything, but now it's like there's ethics against Thomas. They're going after um, John Roberts' wife. I mean, they are non-stop trying to take down the Supreme Court because they know they can't get total control. They only get partial control. AOC, uh, which I think I have the slide for her. There's little fucking princess. Can someone explain why Supreme Court justices who allegedly are so dedicated to an appearance of impartiality they force themselves to keep this face throughout the State of the Union are also going to the media to say stuff like this? Alito was saying, hey, they know who it is. They're just not going to do anything about it. And it wasn't a righty. It was a lefty. Other articles before, well, let's play the, the SCOTUS soundbite that, uh, you know, there could be 20 of them if I wanted to play it. This is America. Don't catch you slipping, no. Don't catch you slipping, no. Look what I'm whipping, no. This is America. Don't catch you slipping, no. Don't catch you slipping, no. Look what I'm whipping, no. This is America. Allow me to retort. Ellie, I tweeted out, it's Ellie. That's the tweet. I stand by it. We're never going to have enough time to get to everything, so let's just go for it now. In a piece for the nation, you describe the situation of the high court as ethical rot oozing from the Republican-controlled Supreme Court. Is this really boiling down to the super conservative majority on the highest court of the land not wanting to cede any ground to external oversight? I think it comes down to nine people who believe themselves to be above the law and better than the rest of us, simply not willing to submit to basic independent ethical oversight. I actually don't think that this is a liberal conservative thing. It happens to be the conservatives right now that are most obviously on the take. But the larger issue here is the way that the Supreme Court has always operated in secret and thinks that thinks that it's entitled to and thinks that thinks that it is above the law and that's what needs to be stopped and that's what needs to be stopped by congress these people are not gods they're not kings they're not rulers they work for us and at some point it is it is it is it is reasonable to expect these people to submit to the same ethical requirements that would apply to a traffic court judge in peoria So, Ellie, let's talk about Chief Justice Roberts turning down that invitation to appear for an ethics hearing. Let's talk about the logistics of it, though. How realistic is the idea of serving a subpoena on someone like John Roberts? Where's the precedent on this? Yeah, so Roberts was trying to be really slippery by saying, well, chief justices don't appear before Congress to testify. That's true. Other Supreme Court justices appear before Congress to testify, including justices that have been on the Roberts Court while Roberts was on it. All right. So like the idea that justices never testify before Congress is just bunk. And it's that classic kind of lawyer trick that Roberts is trying to pull a fast one because he thinks he's smarter than everybody else and doesn't realize that people can see what he's doing. Right. But to the larger issue that you're getting at, Katie, I think that the, the fundamental problem with this hearing as it has been allegedly constructed by Dick Mm. Durbin is the idea that this is to figure out whether or not we need to ask the Supreme Court to apply its own ethical standards to itself, where Durbin wants to ask the Supreme Court to police itself. 
which is ridiculous. The, the Supreme Court cannot police itself. It's proven that it can't police itself. Asking it super nicely, oh, John, would you please police yourself now, is dumb. All right. What needs to happen is not asking the Supreme Court to police itself. We need to have congressional legislation to police the Supreme Court. Right. And that's not apparently what this hearing is all about. And so that's why I don't think that the that the invitation was ever going to go anywhere. Of course, Roberts doesn't want to want to show up like it's the kind of thing where like if you if you ask a high school football player who just, you know, uh, uh, just just got accepted to Texas A&M. Hey, buddy, you want to tell me about your new car? What is he going to say? No, I'm good, son. I don't, don't want to talk about my new car today. Right? And that's what Roberts is right now. He doesn't want to talk about his wife. He doesn't want to talk about his friends. He doesn't want to talk about Harlan Crow. He doesn't want to talk about land deals and book deals. And he doesn't want to talk about it. And no one's going to make him. So why would he? Like, that, so that's, that's what happens when you let these people police themselves. They just don't. Other news that came down the pipeline. No joy. Pentagon emails show National Guard preparing for mission hours before George Floyd protest, but then called down. Tell me they didn't need it. California man gets four and a half years for role in the U.S. Capitol riot. Looks like he pushed a few people. It's wrong, but once again, we're not going to, you know, put lefties in jail. Just the righties. They're the ones that are going to go down the pipe. And then I ran into another piece of shit who is making money off wokeness. Her name, let me make sure I got it right. Uh, Now wanting to be thin is white supremacy. NPR guest and author of Fat Talk claims that people desire to be slim stems from the end of slavery as Americans sought other ways to demonize black and brown people. Fat Talk. Parenting in the Age of Diet Culture, Virginia Cole Smith. And you can guess it. She's not a very attractive woman, but she's made buku money off this shit. She has burnt toast, navigating diet culture and fat phobia, especially through health, fashion, and parenting. The grandparents are not okay because they talk about their diets in front of the grandkids. The pandemic is heightening diet culture for men. Men aren't part of the body positive movement, but they need to be. Uh, uh, Yeah, I, I got two sound bites of this work of art. The thin ideal is definitely a white ideal. When we trace the history of modern diet culture, we really trace it back in the United States to the end of slavery. As slavery ended, Black people gained rights. Obviously, white supremacy is trying to maintain the power structure. So celebrating a thin white body as the ideal body is a way to other and demonize black and brown bodies, bigger bodies, anyone who doesn't fit into that norm. I think that all of us have very specific magic to do in the world, and it doesn't have anything to do with what we look like. And the sooner we can repair or work to repair that relationship with our bodies, I think the easier it is for us to live lives that feel nourishing and full that aren't focused on trying to be smaller. 
You're listening to Burnt Toast. This is the podcast where we talk about diet culture, fat phobia, parenting, and health. I'm Virginia Soul Smith, and I also write the Burnt Toast newsletter. Today, I am thrilled to be chatting with Chrissy King. Chrissy's new book, The Body Liberation Project, is out this week. Yay for book launching. It is a really incredible mix of memoir and cultural analysis and an exploration of the intersection of racism and diet culture. I strongly encourage you to go out and get it. If you're not familiar with Chrissy, she is an author, speaker, educator, and former strength coach with a passion for creating a diverse and inclusive wellness industry. She empowers individuals to stop shrinking, start taking up space, and use their energy to create their specific magic in the world. With degrees in social justice, and sociology from Marquette University, Chrissy merges her passion for social justice with her passion for fitness to inspire members of the wellness industry to create spaces that allow individuals from all backgrounds to feel seen, welcomed, affirmed, and celebrated. Chrissy is doing such vital work in the wellness industry and for all of us with bodies in general. So I know you're going to love this conversation. Here's Chrissy, but first a quick break. Okay, so I want to quickly pause and tell you about the Burnt Toast Bookshop. If you are a regular listener, you have heard me shout out my beloved independent bookstore, Split Rock Books in Cold Spring, New York, a million times. Split Rock is owned by my friends Heidi and Michael Bender, and they have the most perfect shop cat named Georgie. And they are now the official hosts of the Burnt Toast Bookshop. To be clear, the Burnt Toast Bookshop is not a real brick and mortar bookshop yet anyway. But it is its own official section over on splitrockbks.com, where you can find every book we've ever recommended on the podcast or in Burnt Toast essays and newsletters. This includes every author I've ever interviewed, from Angela Garbez to Crystal Maldonado to, yes, Chrissy King, who you're about to hear from in this episode. And it also includes collections of picture books, parenting books, books on puberty and aging, and every other topic that comes up here. So if you ever find yourself listening and think, I wish there was more I could learn about this, the Burnt Toast Bookshop has you covered. It is like the easiest grift in the world to play liberal politics. Just grift to grift to grift. Being fat. Is racist. Hmm. I don't think that's true. But the people that are the first to say does science during a pandemic clearly, as we've seen by the end of the show, don't believe in biology. They don't believe in science that you shouldn't be overweight. I'm living proof. COVID fucked me up. I'm still fucked up. It's 15 months later. They have no fucking clues wrong with me. I don't have results from the pill cam. I got a colonoscopy endoscopy next week. Yesterday was miserable. This morning was miserable. My entire digestive system doesn't work anymore, and it's all based off of COVID. But one of premorbidities was being obese. I was obese. And now you're not only telling kids there is no gender, you're now supposed to tell kids, be fat, get diabetes which is fucking insane. I mean, it's completely insane. But if I could rewrite what the theme was, it's alternate reality. Everything the left and the media is pushing right now is not reality. The border is not secure. 
People are getting killed by fentanyl and criminals that don't go to jail. And now you can't even stop people at the border who are gay. That's another layer you got to get through. You just got to say they're gay. And if I was trying to get in here illegal, I would most likely say I suck the meanest dick in the world just to get in. I don't know how that is in Spanish, but I'd do it in Spanish. El habla el dico suque. It would get me in. We're saying that a by the end of his next presidency, 86-year-old man, there's nothing wrong with him mentally and he's just fine. That's what we're saying. But it's not true. It's just not true. We're saying there's misogyny in the lesbian community. Well, that one is true because most of the people are dudes. 80% of them that don't take hormones. They just wear and drag because it gets them around the system, gets them to beat up on girls in sports. And the worst thing probably, what we've seen in forever, is that a press secretary sat at the podium and made up that 90% drop in crossings. There have been five and a half million motherfuckers come in this country during one presidency. That's of what we know. Those are encounters. We don't know the number of the non-encounters. So alternate reality needs to meet reality. And as I've said on every one of these shows of late, Republicans, I'm not a Republican. Electing Trump means you're going to lose the White House. You're not going to pick up a lot of seats and you won't control shit. Electing anybody but Trump gets you a fighting chance as long as the left doesn't hack this one, which they probably already have. But it gives you a fighting chance. It can't be Trump. Because if it's Trump, you lose. Why do you think CNN's giving him a town hall? Because it's good business for them and it's good politically because it gets him in the limelight. They can say, look at that fucking train wreck and boom. Biden all of a sudden looks normal and he's not normal. There's nothing normal about that man. He's a fucking train wreck. So so this wraps up another episode of Flavor Politic Podcast. Share with your family and friends. Go to SoundCloud, Flavor Politic with a K, Rumble 482467, podcast at gmail.com. Thank you and Todd in Oregon for the story. It'll always lead. If I get a mail, motherfucker, it leads. Disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah, yes. And we'll go with, uh, trying to figure out which screen is the main screen now. Let's go with the six of May, year of our Lord, 2023 next show. Until then, take care of yourself and thank you for listening. Every death is a tragedy, y'all. Seven lives.